Hey, this is Shannon Wooten, pastor of New Spring Church, and this is our podcast. I hope it encourages you, and I hope it gives you hope that a new life in Jesus is possible for you. We appreciate you, and thank you for listening. You with, with that information. Jesus, we know, is the hope for mankind. We understand that, and that's why God sent Christ. God sends Jesus to the world in one of the darkest hours in history. I want you to think about this. Because Jeremiah chapter 29, 11 has been quoted a lot for seniors and those who are starting their career. Uh, it has been quoted many times to bring encouragement to someone that God has a plan and a future for you. But sometimes we miss the context, the literary text of why it was there and where was it placed in the text. And I think just where it's at the historical and the literary context speaks just as loud as the scripture verse itself. And sometimes if we don't see where God placed the text and what was God talking about, we will miss the full impact of what God was saying to us in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11. Uh, Jesus, but I want you to back up for just a moment and think about how we're celebrating Christmas because God has, God seems to do this a lot. He places hope in the most hopeless situations. Think about how Christ came. There was 400 years of silence before Jesus, before Matthew began to write about Christ coming. In other words, God was prophesying and declaring and writing scripture and talking to, through prophets all the way up to 400 years before Christ came. And there was no, no open word or vision in those 400 years of silence. You could almost say there was like spiritual darkness. The oppressive rule of Rome was evident. The nation of Israel was fractured. Here was God's people, but they were fractured and divided. The birth of Jesus comes through a virgin. We know and we can celebrate that fact that Mary carried Jesus as a virgin. But I want to remind you, this was not, this was not celebrated. I mean, can you imagine, Mary is saying, hey, I'm pregnant, and everyone's saying, you're not even married. But she says, oh, but wait a minute, it's not, it's not, with, it's not with Joseph, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can see people like whispering and talking and saying, yeah, right, yeah, sure. I mean, this was, this was a really hard place for Mary to carry Jesus as a virgin, but yet that's the way God sent Christ into the world, a time where there's darkness, fraction, uh, there's, there's even this smear of possible smear of a reputation placed in this type of poverty. There were hostile forces of Herod and Satan who tried to kill Jesus. And John 1 calls Jesus, that's why when John says in chapter 1 that the true light has come, that John was focusing on darkness is all around, but God is about ready to shine this bright light to repel this darkness. Jesus' hope is that, the trans, that transformation is possible, that darkness can turn into light, that poverty can turn into prosperity, that, that hurts can turn into healing, that, that dark situations can, can bring some light and bring some hope to the world around us. And that's how Jesus came into the world. He didn't come celebrated as some royal priesthood. He came humble, in humble beginnings, in a manger with, with animals, 
But that was God's message to us, that it may seem like we're surrounded by hopelessness. But when God begins to communicate hope, he'll communicate to us in some of the most darkest times of our life. And how many of you can testify that when you thought it was over, God showed up and brought hope to you? Can you shout amen this morning? Jesus, or Jeremiah rather, chapter 29, verse 11, very familiar scripture. Let's read it. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and to not harm you. Plans to give you a hope. Someone shout a hope. And a future. Shout future. Isn't it funny how God is saying, I'm going to give you, I have a plan for you, and I'm going to give you a hope. I want you to have hope. Hope was a big deal to God. God wants us to have hope, and he wants us to be hope to other people. He wants us to think about our future. A verse of hope. Now, let's look at where this verse was placed. In Jeremiah chapter 29, if you look at it, look at, read the entire chapter, you'll find that this is a very, very dark chapter. There's not a lot of hope going on in this chapter. In fact, if you look at the entire book of Jeremiah, this is not the book that you'll want to read for encouragement because the entire book talks about how dark the situations were in their life. God's people were in a dark situation. They were living in Babylon, a society not offering hope at all. Theology even. There were prophets that were lying. They weren't even speaking the truth. So even the religion and the church was, was not even offering hope. They were telling stories. They were lying. They were saying opposite of what God wanted them to say. Dark chapters Dark, an even dark book, and hope is being challenged. But God says in the middle of this dark book of what's going on in your life, I'm going to give you hope. And here's what I'm going to tell you. I have plans for you. Isn't it funny that Romans chapter 4, 18 says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham hoped. This was a big deal. God wants to put this into us that while there's no reason for hope, Abraham hoped. While, while Jeremiah 29, there's darkness all around, God says, I, want, I don't want you to think about the darkness or be depressed about your future. I want to give you hope. Even when there's no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, this is how many descendants you will have. That even Abraham inspires us when you look around you and there's nothing to hope in, be hopeful. Hopeful means to have a joyful expectation about our future. This John Maxwell tells a story that how when people are without hope, cities are without hope, that everything will fall apart. And he has a famous quote, but I want to give you the background of where this quote comes from. John Maxwell was talking about a small town in Maine that was, proposed, that was a proposed site for a hydroelectric plant. The plan called for a dam to be built across the river and a town would become submerged beneath the water. The town agreed that they would, they would become the site and that they would abandon this city and rebuild elsewhere. But here's what happened. John Maxwell said it was funny how they watched this city. Once they knew that there was no hope for the future of that physical city, there was no mount maintenance done on the roads, no one kept their houses up. 
No one cut their grass. They abandoned vehicles. All of this was taking place for over a period of months. And they said when we looked at the city just over a period of a year, it looked like the city had already deteriorated because no hope was given. John Maxwell says, makes this statement. He says, when there is no hope for the future, there is no power for the present. And when we cannot see hope for a future, God knows that it takes, it takes our ability to see what he wants to do right now. And can I tell you that there may be situations in your life right now that may appear to be hopeless, but God is saying, I do not want you to abandon hope. I want you to be hopeful because there's something that I am not only want to do today or tomorrow, but there is something God is saying, I am doing it. And I want you to be able to see that, and you won't be able to see it if you don't have hope. Someone shout hope. So God is a God of hope. Will you say that with me? God is a God of hope. Let's say it one more time. God is a God of hope. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, he is. Look what the scripture says in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God doesn't only want us to have hope. He wants hope flowing out of us. That's why we're challenging us as a congregation to be hope to our city, be hope to our friends, our family, our neighbors, be hope to our coworkers. Why? Because God wants hope flowing out of us. And guys, when we're full of hope, it's going to be easy for us to spread hope to others around us. Can you shout amen? God wants you to have hope no matter how dark, no matter how bleak, how rough the circumstances have been. So I want you to write this down. Hope makes your future brighter than your past. Hope makes your future brighter than your past. One of the things that I was telling my kids, I think I've mentioned a story about teaching my kids how to drive. Well, here's another lesson that I would teach them. I said, you see your little uh, rear view mirror, that your rear view mirror is small for a reason. See how big your windshield is. It's big for a reason. Don't spend time looking in your rear view mirror because you'll miss what's in front of you. And I remember all of my kids when I was riding with them, they would get nervous when someone, there was always, all, there's always someone that wants to hug your bumper. Someone on the road wants to just, I mean, just get right on you. How many know, I don't know if they missed that, those chapters in the, in the uh, license book as you're taking the test, that you're supposed to stay back, what, every car length for every 10 miles an hour that you're doing the speed limit, right? Is that right? So if you're doing 50 miles an hour, you're supposed to be five car lengths behind that person. I don't know if that's the actual, I just, that's the way I remembered it, right? I know that's pretty safe. In fact, you probably should stay a little bit further than that. But it never fails. I know when my kids are following me because they want to hug my bumper. I don't know if they don't want to miss a turn or they love me so much they want to be that close to me. There's time, I just want to do a brake check every now and then when I get someone behind me. But it's, it's nerve-wracking. And I'll never forget one of my kids, they were, they were so nervous because someone had their lights just shoved right into their back window and they kept looking. I said, hey, keep your eyes on the road. Forget the joker back there. Keep your eyes ahead of you. That rearview mirror is small for a reason. It's to just know where you've been, know that everything's okay, but keep your eyes glued in front of you. And many times we get stuck in a rearview mirror looking at our past. 
and we wonder why. I'm going to tell you, everything you look backwards is going to cause you why, or it's going to cause you to say, man, those were great times. But how many of you know that you can't look forward to your future with hope if you're constantly looking in your rearview mirror wondering why this went wrong, wondering how this went wrong, wondering what's going on back here. Man, those were some great times back there. Living in our past will not bring hope for our future. And God wants us to have hope for our future and not live under our past. Can you shout amen this morning? And even the apostle Paul said it. He said, I'm forgetting those things that are behind and I'm reaching forth to those things that are before me. Why? Because he knows that you can get stuck looking in your rearview mirror and if you do, you're going to miss the hope that God has for your future. Can you shout amen? Some things need to be left behind. Some things need to be forgotten about. Some things you need to just leave it. Stop asking the question and start looking forward and saying, Stop saying, looking back and saying why. Start looking forward and saying, God, what's next? God, what are you doing? What do you want to do? And if we can live our lives with that, I'm telling you, we will live our lives in hope. So leave some things behind. Forget those things that are behind and strain forward to the things that God has for you. John chapter 1, verse 46. I, I think this is amazing. That here's Nathaniel, one of the disciples. He doesn't know anything about Jesus but Philip is coming to Nathaniel and saying, hey, you got to see the new Messiah. And Nathaniel says, who is he and where is he from? Nathaniel says, or, or Philip says, he's from Nazareth. You know, what Nathan, you know what Nathaniel's response was? He says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, I think that's amazing. You know what he was doing? He was stuck in his rearview mirror knowing the history over Nazareth, that it was not a good city. That there was nothing good coming out of that. But Jesus spent some time with Nathaniel and began to minister to his heart because he knew he was stuck in his past and stuck in the history. And he says, he's saying to, to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, not only, not only can God take something from a, a, a bad place, but I'm going to show you that something good can come from something that you may feel like is bad. You may be stuck this morning because you feel like nothing can good can come out of this, but the Jesus Christ that I know wants to prove himself that there's always hope. I don't care what you come out of. I don't care how bad it looks. God can transform and turn things around. So Nathaniel, stop saying, can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth and look at the Messiah right in front of you and start wondering who is this man and what can he do in my life? No matter how bad it was, hope brings your future into a view with optimism, with motivation, with energy, and with passion. Jeremiah chapter 29, 11, we all know that, but I wonder if we've read it a little bit further. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. God says, not only do I have a plan for you, and it's a good plan, not only do I have that, but I have a hope and a future for you. But also, he says, then you will call on me, in verse 12, and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Can we say that last line together? When you seek me with all your heart. Let's say it, all your heart. Let's say it one more time. Come on, one, two, three. All your heart. God's saying, I have a plan, and I want to give you the plan, but you're going to have to seek me with all of your heart. 
I want you to write this down. Hope begins when you seek the planner. When you begin to seek the planner, if you want to know the plan, then you're going to have to seek the one who made the plans. You cannot know the plan of God without knowing the person of God. There is no way you're going to have to have a relationship with the one who has mapped out your life, and you're going to have to seek him, God says, with all of your heart. God placed them in a pagan nation. And God did all, allowed all of these things. You know what it was? He was wanting to move the entire nation of Israel to a place where they had to seek him. And it may be that you and I go through pressure points of our life and opposition, not because God wants to harm us, but because God wants to show us something. And we will never see what God wants to show us until we begin to seek God with all of, his, all of our hearts. Listen to me very carefully this morning. Every person in this room, God has a specific plan for your life. God has specific courses and specific steps for you. But let me tell you something. If you want your life to be in a place where you have fulfillment and joy, then you're going to have to seek the planner for your life. You're going to have to seek him with all of your heart. If you're wondering, if you're confused, what does God want me to do? God is giving us an invitation this morning. Seek the planner. Seek the one who has the plan, and he will, he will show us what he has for us. God wants to break us of our independence that we will become desperate for him, that we will give full attention to him, that we may get a response from him. Are you hearing what I'm saying to us this morning? That God wants to break. We are so independent that we think we can do it on our own. But anytime we feel like we can do it on our own, we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Listen, we need the planner, the creator God, to come on, to, to interact with us, to show us, to reveal some things so that you and I don't get into trouble with our independence. God wants to show us his will for our life. It was Corey Ten Boom that says, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. You don't know the plan of God? God is saying, seek him. You want to know what your next steps are? God is giving you a wide door of opportunity. Seek him. Seek the planner. When he does, he, will, he says, you'll find me. I will hear you, and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29 and verse 14. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will be found by you. You will find me. I'm letting you know that I, I want you to find me, God is saying. If you feel like God has been distant, if you feel like that God is not showing you and you feel like he's doing it on purpose, I'm going to tell you that is a lie. That's not what the, that is the enemy speaking to you. God is saying my heart is to show you my plans for you. He says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I want you to write this down. He restores what you have lost. He restores. Hope restores what you have lost. When you begin to have a hope for your future, God is saying, I will begin to restore some things that, have been, that you may have lost. It was John 10 and 10 that says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. 
And Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. You know what I focus on in this verse? It's not that the thief, it's not the thief, it's not still kill and destroy. I like to focus on the second part of that. I don't care what opposition may come against me, I don't care how the enemy wants to steal, what he wants to kill in my life, what he wants to destroy. I'm more attracted to the promise of Jesus Christ that he's come to give me life and life abundantly. Come on, I don't know about you, but that's hope to me. It's not very hopeful if I'm looking around every corner to see where the enemy may show up. But it is very hopeful to me that I wake up in the morning, put my shoes on, walk out of the house, and I can't wait to see how God is going to fulfill life and life abundant for me. Can you shout amen this morning? Have you been ripped off? Have you been cheated? Have you lost some things? Is there something that you feel like you have lost over this course of this year? Maybe in this last two or three seasons of your life, you feel like you have lost a dream. Something that you have been praying for and you know that God put it in your heart, but you feel like the enemy has ripped it out of you. If you feel like you have been cheated, that you've been ripped off, God's saying, I want to restore. There are things that are lost that God says, I want you to find. The devil is okay with stealing from you on a daily basis. You may not give your whole life to him. You may never turn your back on God. But the enemy will be satisfied to just steal and rob from you on a daily basis. This is where you don't give the devil an inch of your life. When Jesus says, I've come to give you abundant life, you don't settle for second best. You don't give him an inch. God says that I'm going to restore what you have lost. He wants to steal. I want you to write these down. There are seven things where the enemy is going to try to steal from you. Write them down real quickly. He wants to steal your faith. It was Jesus that said to Peter, Peter, the devil wants to sift you as weak. And what did Jesus say? But I have come, I, I I pray that your faith will not fail. The enemy wants to steal your faith. Number two, he wants to steal your peace. Jesus said, my peace I'm giving you, and the world can't take it away. He will try to steal your peace. Number three, your relationships. The enemy wants to destroy your relationships because the kingdom of God is built upon relationships. He'll try to steal your relationships. Your ability to hear God's voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. But if we can't hear the voice of the shepherd, how are we going to know which direction to take? And the enemy will do his best to try to steal the voice of God out of your life. Number five, that he wants to take your joy and steal your joy. How can you live an abundant life and a full life and be a person of joy when you are depressed and oppressed and you don't just, there's no happiness there? And so the enemy will do his best to take the joy out of your life. He'll steal your joy. Number six, your health. The Apostle Paul says, I would that you would be in health and that you would would prosper even as your soul prospers. You say, well, health is not, you know, it comes and goes. I understand that. But if you rob Jesus of being concerned about our health, you just took about three quarters of his miracles that he did when he walked on the face of the earth. He looked at people who were sick. He looked at people who were in, with infirmities, and he was moved with compassion, and he healed them. 
I don't know about you, but the enemy wants to steal our health. I wonder if we can go into January 2021 and that we as a body of Christ can say, God, heal our infirmities. Wouldn't it be great to have an outpouring of the healing power of Jesus Christ to touch us, amen? The enemy would try to steal your health because he knows that if you're sick and overwhelmed with sickness and infirmities, you can't do the will of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be in health. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. And last, and number seven, he wants to steal your soul. And he doesn't just snatch your soul. He'll start with your faith. And he'll get you to doubt God. And, and he'll, get, he'll, he'll get you to a place where you doubt God's love for you and God's plan for you and his future for you. And eventually, you've given everything over to the enemy and he has taken your soul. Lastly, this morning, hope brings possibilities that are waiting to be named and circumstances waiting to be changed. Hope brings possibilities that are waiting to be named and circumstances waiting to be changed. God is listening for his people to name some possibilities. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back this morning. I want you to think about Jairus. Jairus was one of the synagogue leaders. He was a religious synagogue leader. But Jairus' daughter became sick. Now think about this. Jairus, a synagogue leader where all of his other peers did not believe in the Messiah. In fact, they opposed him. But here's this synagogue leader willing to stand up in the midst of opposition, even of his peers, to say, my daughter is sick, and I've watched this man walk around and heal people. I'm going to be the one, I'm going to be the father that brings hope to my daughter. I don't care if I get ridiculed. I don't care if they push me out. I don't care if I lose my preaching license. I'm going to believe, and I'm going to name the healing power of Christ over my sick daughter. What are some things in your life that God is waiting for you to name them, some possibilities where God wants to move and he wants you to name them? God wants you to speak it. He wants you to name it. If God can move, I know this situation will turn around. Hope is a desire. It starts with a desire that says, I trust God. I believe God. What impossibilities is God waiting to make possible in your life? He's looking for you to believe, and he's looking for you to name it. How many people reached out to Jesus and asked him for something? Look at the Gospels. I don't think there's not one person in the Bible that was just there and Jesus did it without first them requesting it. There are thousands, millions of people who were probably sick all over the world, but it was the ones that came to Jesus and reached out in faith and said, Jesus, heal I have an impossibility, and I believe you can make it possible.
We, can make, we cannot make miracles happen. But we can make room in our heart and our mind for miracles to happen by allowing hope to fill our hearts. Can you stand with me this morning? As we worship with this, this last song, I want you to think about what possibilities in your life that need to be named, that you need to come in the, into the presence of Jesus and say, Lord, I'm asking for this impossibility to be possible. I'm naming this. What circumstances need to be changed? And it's going to be hope that brings you into that moment. Can you just bow your heads for a moment? I, I wonder this morning, can you just take, let's take about five, six minutes and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us through this worship song. But while we're doing that, I want you to pray. I want you to bring your hopes to the Lord this morning. And if you would, just spread out around this front, maybe step out of your, out of your seat if you would like to. And I, I want you to just get into a place where you just close your eyes and you begin to focus on the presence of Jesus coming to your situation, your circumstance. Hey, thank you for listening to today's message. We appreciate you tuning in. I hope you subscribe so you can join us back here next week. If you're interested in connecting with us at New Spring Church, text Connect NC to 94000. Hey, we're praying for you and we pray God's blessing upon you.